What did he say? There's a guy in our quartet Talks like no one I've heard yet He mumbles, mumbles all the time He's got no reason and he's got no What did he say? You know what I got there, don't you? What did he say? If I could go something. What did he say? He said, bring something round, we'll have a ball today. You are listening to the next voice you hear with Juan Yoon. Welcome to the next voice you hear, the second episode of our new format. I'm Juan Yoon, one of our hosts. And I'm Nevin Ryan. Hello, humans. Everybody loves the hello, humans, by the way. So <laughs> the reason why we're doing this, uh, this new format, which is much more relaxed, it's much more conversational and rambly. We're not interviewing you know, cool and fascinating people around the world, although we may in the future is mainly for because we are bored and, and need to maintain our own sanity but we also as we go about you know entertaining ourselves and doing our work we find some interesting things to think about and this show is all about thinking differently or or being able to think new thoughts so that's why we're trying out this new format we hope you enjoy it there's nothing particularly fancy about it but along the way, maybe there's something that will spark a thought in you. So, as always, we're going to have three different segments. One is called Cool Hunting. Next is called Bad Ideas. And we end on a kind of a big what if or thought experiment. So, let's get started then. So, our first segment is called Cool Hunting. Now, how do you like them apples? All right, so with this segment, we are bringing in something that is neat, something that is cool, something that you would find interesting, just to spark a little brightness in your day. Uh, Juan, I believe you had uh, you found a video. Um, yes. Uh, what was it called again? Dicks. <laughs> it's a YouTube video. <laughs> it was very amusing, uh, you know, it, and it's called Dicks, colon, do you need to be one to be a successful leader, which made me laugh right there. And, uh, and I watched it, uh, and I made you watch it as well. So we're going to talk about that. What I love about this is that even though when, if you go to the bookstore, and I now mean that in a virtual sense, there are literally thousands of titles uh, on leadership. I love how this YouTube video boiled it down to something that's so kind of common sense and, and basic. He is a film director who's looking to become a very successful film director. He's still fairly young and he runs around interviewing different successful film directors to see, you know, if they know the answer to the question, do you have to be a dick to be a good leader? Because on set, a director is de facto the leader of the production, etc. So uh, it was really cool and, and quite amusing, his little journey and what he finds uh, along the way. What did you think of it when you watched it? Yeah, I thought it was great. I didn't, I didn't really like him necessarily, but I thought that the content was really good. I thought his interviewees uh, were, were really interesting and had something to say. Like um, the woman director that he interviewed was really had she didn't make it like so binary. Like you don't have to be a dick, but you don't like you can't be a pushover as well. 
you can't like put it that into those two camps. It's more of like, you have to kind of have a vision, um, know what you kind of stand for, know that vision and, and just execute it. Yeah. And that director, uh, it turns out is Karan Kusama. Right. Ah, Karin yes, with yes, a K yes. and Kusama with a K. Karin Kusama is actually the first film director that I ever worked with when I was working in independent film. And her first feature was called Girl Fight. And Girl Fight uh, went to Sundance and Cannes. It won a slew of awards. It was made for exactly a million dollars. And then it was sold for four million to New Line Cinema. And it just ruled the circuits, uh, the festival circuit for a long time and launched her career as well as the career of uh, Michelle Rodriguez, who ended up being, you know, main character in Avatar and Fast and the Furious and, and Lost and you name it. Yeah. So it was really interesting. So this guy is what I would call a nebbish. Nebbish is the Yiddish expression for somebody who's a bit of a pushover, is a bit wimpy and he admits mm. it in, in the video. And like many guys, he has, convinced himself that maybe you really need to be a dick to be a successful leader. And the, the director that he keeps going after throughout this video and finally gets time with at the end is Peter Berg. And Peter Berg is the, uh, he's done a lot of uh, movies with a, a lot of sort of very testosterone driven uh, themes like Friday Night Lights. The movie him. and the show. The yeah. movie and the show. So I love some of his, uh, his product, but he is a first-class dick. And he, he <laughs> exhibits that behavior to our narrator uh, yeah. in, in this video. But what I find really interesting is in the middle of the video, some insight does occur, you know, like, because we're always looking for some insight or, or aha. And even though he is the opposite of someone who's academic about leadership, he does talk to an, an author, whose name I forget, who says, you know, you have to think about this in two levels. There's the surface level of a person's style, and he calls it agreeable versus disagreeable. Like, is the person's surface tone or style agreeable or disagreeable? But then underneath it, there's the person's intention. And is their intention as a giver or as a taker? And I found that very interesting sort of two-dimensional picture of the surface style versus the underlying intention actually really helpful. Again, mm -hmm. because leadership is such a visceral thing, it's often hard to remember you know, very academic concepts when you're going about your day and trying to be a leader. And you can be a leader of a project, your family, a company, it doesn't matter, right? Everybody can be a leader in some way. But I love the fact that he basically said, look, the perhaps the optimal position is to be a disagreeable giver. Meaning if the surface style is about uh, agreeable, disagreeable, and the underlying intention is about giver or taker, then he said, maybe the best place, the optimal position is to be a disagreeable giver, you know, as opposed to, let's mm -hmm. say somebody who's a disagreeable taker, who is a full fledged dick. So, yeah, scenario. that's it. So uh, my question is, is, that's kind of like a perfect employee, but do you have to have for, for your entire organization, like you're not going to find all of these disagreeable givers. Like, do you have to have a mix? <laughs> <laughs> like, or does your leaders or do your leaders just have to be disagreeable givers? 
I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, that question, but I think if you just put it back into the context of he's looking at famous directors and, you know, director, in, in other words, he's looking at the film world. And so you're, you're talking about the titular sort of leader of, of production. Mm -hmm. And because filmmaking is such an interpersonal and collaborative exercise, it's a really interesting question to pose. Do you need to be a total dick to be a successful director? Because there are a lot of successful directors who can be classified as such, like uh, Michael Bay. Michael Bay, example, yeah. Right? But, or even Stanley Kubrick, you know, wasn't always the nicest person, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. That said, though, because the role of empathy and the role of relationships is so important in being a film director, I think it makes sense that for that context, the optimal position is be a bit disagreeable, meaning don't always give in to people. But at the end of the day, you need to, to be a giver because that is what's going to lead to a successful uh, production. I think that's what he was trying to say. And that's five minutes too. The last thing I, I the last little anecdote that I liked is with that one director that he was talking to. He, he was on like a, a set with like Joshua Jackson, some other like really good uh, actors. And he just, it was one of his first things and he wanted to, he wanted just for them to like him. So he just agreed to everything. And by the end of it, they just ended up hating him. So I think the, the thing is like actors want to be told what to do. And some, and I think that's, that's relatable to, um, to anything really. It's just like some people just don't want to lead. Some people just want to be told how to do their job or what to do for their job and just kind of act it out. Well, you know, that, that's certainly something that I've heard from a lot of film directors, you know, and commercial directors, which is, it is way more important to have a vision than to want to be liked. And maybe yeah. that's, that's the moral of the story. Hey, yeah. have a vision. Don't worry about being liked. There you go. <laughs> uh, so our next segment is called Bad Ideas. <laughs> Ariana. All right. So this uh, for this segment, we got one question that we're going to try to solve a little bit. How would you market a bike helmet to people who hate bike helmets? So in basically the entire population. <laughs> well, that, that's a classic behavior change kind of goal, right? Is, exactly. Is, it's good for you. You really ought to do this, but you don't want to. And, like quitting and so, smoking. Exactly. It's quitting smoking or frankly, you know, the, the kind of thing that we're working on these days, which is uh, how to uh, inspire people to wear masks in public, even if they don't, they're not absolutely required to, because there are a lot of places mm -hmm. in the world where by law, you don't have to, but you really ought to. And yeah. not everybody uh, is used to the behavior of wearing a mask when they walk out their front door. So this is kind of similar. How would you market a bike helmet to people who hate helmets? Is that what you said? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how about let's start with why. Why do you think they hate helmets? <laughs> why do people hate helmets? Yeah. Let's get, yeah. To the, let's get to the core Let's of get it. to the problem. Well, because you look like a because you look like an idiot. Yeah. Thank you. That was the word dorky. I was searching for. Because yeah, they, they look dorky. They can be uncomfortable. Yeah, they can mess with your hair. What if you got a nice mane? And if you are vain, or if you've got an yeah. awesome quaff, it's going to absolutely screw with your, with your hairdo. Yeah. 
I think it's also it, it's it's a it's it's hair, but like it, it is a vanity thing. Like people just don't want to look dorky, <laughs> or they yes. want to look stylish. Um, so so that's, va vanity that's, is the first thing, and maybe comfort is the second thing, and both both of which wearing yeah. a helmet violates, right? Hmm. And so, then, yeah, no. Well, when I when we were, when we were deciding on this, um, we did find something that wasn't a helmet, right? There's this scarf that got invented about like three years ago that kind of doubles as a as an airbag that comes up over your head when you get into a collision. I don't know how it works, what their physics are behind it, but that's where is one. this from? I don't know. I think it's in it's definitely in Europe. Uh, for I think it was in, uh, invented in by some Dutch guys. And is it actually called a scarf helmet? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. I can There's got to be a name. Oh, a weird, can, unpronounceable. Dutch name. <laughs> yeah. If you yes. type in scarf airbag, you will find it on the internet. I, I, I swear. So um, it, I, I saw a little clip of this. So it looks like somebody's wearing a scarf over their head. And I guess on impact, it, it explodes like an airbag to protect your skull. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. But like it, it rests as a scarf, like on your, on your neck and, sh and your shoulders. Right. And it kind of right. comes up. Well, that only partially solves the, it might solve the comfort problem, but it doesn't solve the vanity problem for most people because most yeah. people would hate to wear a scarf as much as they'd hate to wear a helmet. Yeah, some people are not scarf people. Now, isn't there such a thing though as an invisible helmet or couldn't you conceive of a helmet that's fairly invisible if, which partially solves the vanity issue? Yeah. Or yeah, how about it, like if it's like projects something, like not projects, but like has like a it's like screen on top of the helmet, so it does something fucking cool. Like, you know what I mean? You know how like uh, trucks have those screens now. Like you could probably do oh. something with your helmet that doesn't look so cheesy. Maybe it, it, it could be an illusion, or of like you know what I mean? Or or, or you could have just that, like a, a video playing. I don't know. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. I mean, you've been working in advertising too long because you've basically created more um, media that <laughs> yeah, you're media you can buy to advertise <laughs> on your helmet. But that's yeah. interesting. Could the helmet have multiple functions beyond just protecting you? So it could be self-expression. It could generate revenue for you. In other words, the person owning the helmet is the owner of the media, right? Yeah. No corporation owns your helmet right? you, know, you own your helmet it's your media space but what so if it sick. did that and protected you so there was a there was an economic you know benefit to it there was a safety benefit to it and then there was a self-expression benefit to it meaning somehow it was designed so that you could either advertise something or you could just self-express mm -hmm. very interesting yeah i like that that's actually five minutes so Okay, so the what if question that you have put on our table is what if we couldn't throw out anything other than organic material? <gasps> what if we were not allowed to throw out anything anymore other than organic material? That's an interesting uh, radical kind of uh, what if question. Yeah. A good what if question forces you to rethink everything. And that's what this is, right? Well, there'd definitely be an influx of arts and crafts. That's that's the groups <laughs> and knitting groups. Oh, because you couldn't throw out clothing? <laughs> you could throw out anything. 
you know how arts and crafts they use like paper plates and <laughs> like literally oh everything i see that, i see oh there'd just be a huge influx of those people to to meaning to use the things that you're no longer allowed to toss out yeah that's that's yes. one thing junk yes. art for sure there'd be a lot junk more junk art, art. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, already we're seeing the resurgence of certain products and brands from, let's say, like um, past mid-century, like Braun. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up with Braun coffee makers and Braun appliances. And the, the resurgence of interest, particularly that industrial uh, designers have with Braun, is that uh, the materials and the construction are such high quality that they're made mm -hmm. to last forever. So, for example, my mom still has a brown coffee maker, and I've told her many times, you've got to throw this out. And she turns to me, she goes, it works perfectly. Why should I throw it out? And I was like, because you got it in, like, 1979. Uh, <laughs> and, but that's a miracle when you think about it. It's like 40 years of use, yeah. and it's still perfectly good. She's never even had to get it fixed, quite frankly. Isn't that amazing? So I think uh, things made to last are, yeah. are going to have a massive, would have a massive comeback for sure. Yeah, especially like you talk about appliances, but like you can also think of like fast fashion, like H&M, uh, Joe Fresh, all those places would just seem to, like it just doesn't make sense anymore. You would need to create clothes, either shoes, shirts, whatever, that would last a long time or that they're made out of raw materials. Um, and then I think it's also a big DIY resurgence in like sewing kits, <laughs> a lot of knitters out there, people making their own shit. Right, or, right. Or repairing their own stuff. So in other words, hardware stores are going to do really well that sell like yeah. drills and, and hammers and saws, toolkits, etc. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Uh, and obviously packaging would have to completely transform, you know, like, uh, Several years ago, I ran a workshop where uh, I, I asked people to choose a product that is unsustainable that they uh, wanted to, to completely transform. And one table decided to do it on Nespresso capsules. Yeah. And because somebody on that table, A, hates the company Nespresso and hated the fact that those millions of capsules are, are not biodegradable. And they, at the table, sort of designed, as it were, a biodegradable capsule that was embedded with seeds on the outside so that when you compost it in your backyard, it grows plants. Obviously. Oh, uh, right. That was a very simple idea, but that's the kind of thinking that would have to be employed across the board if we couldn't throw anything out other than organic material. Yeah, you'd have to come up with like a, a proxy for plastics. And there, like, there is stuff out there like cornstarch uh, packaging or mushroom packaging. Uh, that kind of feels like plastic, but is made of actual ah, raw organic materials. Cornstarch packaging. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that actually. Well, anyway, one of the things that is completely going to have to be rethought or transform is just people's basic consumption patterns. We are extremely geared toward consumables and single use. And we have started to see, you know, hotels and restaurants start to eradicate the plastic straws. Yeah. But, uh, but we're producing yet more, you know, uh, waste now with, with things like masks and gloves because of the pandemic. And that's going to continue for quite a while or, or, yeah. or indefinitely. So we're really going to have to, we would have to completely um, eliminate anything 
that is consumable. Everything would have to be uh, reusable or compostable, which is fascinating. No, for sure. Like, yeah, people would have some big ass composters in their house. <laughs> some stinky houses. Anyways, that was five minutes. So that went by fast. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen, for our latest episode of our new format of the next voice you hear. Thank you for lending us your ears and, and letting us uh, ramble and imagine and project forward and think weird thoughts with you. <laughs> so I'm Wan Yoon. And I'm Nevin Ryan. And we'll catch you next time on the next voice you hear. Mm-hmm.